welcome to today's episode. I will be reading Neville Goddard's lecture from 1964 titled Jesus, God's Plan of Salvation. So Neville tells his audience tonight's subject is Jesus, God's Plan of Salvation. God's plan of salvation appears so different in prospect form from what it really is in retrospect. If you haven't experienced it, and you trust the one who has, do not at any time forget or ignore the out-and-out supernatural character of this plan of salvation, and never try to interpret it in some naturalistic way. That's what the whole vast world tries to do with the plan of salvation. It's supernatural from beginning to end. The whole drama takes place in the inner man. The inner man is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in you is the hope of glory. So it hasn't a thing to do with something on the outside. The whole drama is taking place on the inside. And so I have experienced it. And let me share with you what I have experienced. But first of all, let me thank you for what you've done over the last few months in sharing with me your letters, your experiences, and the use of God's law, and in your visions, your wonderful mystical experiences. This morning's mail brought three perfectly wonderful letters, all visions. Let me give you the highlights of two of them. One I will take at some future date. It's too long. But I've told you in the past that the entire space-time history of the world is laid out and you and I only become aware of increasing portions of it, successively. You and I did not choose it. We were made subject unto futility, not willingly, but by the will of him who subjected us in hope. And that hope was that you and I would be set free from this bondage to corruption and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God, Romans 8.20. We find ourselves here, and we must admit we were born of the action of powers, not our own. And this is a physical birth. Let us now admit that we are also born spiritually by the actions of powers beyond ourselves. We certainly didn't do it physically. We found ourselves here. Don't let anyone tell you that by some effort on your part, that you're going to be born spiritually into some wonderful world. It's all being done by the one who subjected us to this will, or this wheel of futility. Now this morning's letter brought, this mail brought this letter. She said, my mother died in 53. She was, I would say, 70 years old. She might have been 71, too, but she was in her late 60s or early 70s. I met her in my vision and my mother was radiantly beautiful. She looked about 30, and the joy, I can't describe the joy of my mother. She told me that when she left here, she moved into the age of the year 3,804 at the age of 21. She found herself 21 years old, living in the year 3,804. Then I asked her many questions. There were many interruptions by people and circumstances. But I tried to get as many questions across as I could. She seemed to be quite familiar with your teaching, although in this world where she left 11 years ago, she never heard of you in any way whatsoever. But your name was not a strange thing to her in that circle where she now lives. I got the impression that she's married, and I tried to find my father and my brother Art, to share with them my experience that I met mother. She told me she was living in a part of Pennsylvania. I asked her if death to her in that world of 3,804 is like death to us in this world. And she said it, it was the same thing. 
They feared it as we feared, and they know it is the inevitable as we know it is the inevitable. Then she said, our moral code, our ethical code, is just like your code. Same thing. But she also said, we have no choice in that time sequence into which we are placed. I found myself 21 years old, at death, being 70. I was 21 in a time sequence that is 3,804th year A.D. Now, or in time sequence, that is... 3804th year A.D. Yeah, I said 3,804. Um, now, in the Bible, we're taught that there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? I tell you, it has been already in ages past. But there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things to come after, among those who will come later. For there is nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1.9 11. That's difficult for a man to understand. And then he reads the book of Ezekiel. For there are wheels within wheels within wheels all turning. Then he reads the book of Romans. For you and I, not willingly, but subjected to the will of God for divine purpose, that we would, being subjected, one day be freed from this futility and obtain, having gone through it, the glorious liberty of the children of God. And that liberty comes and it is inaugurated by a divine event, and we call that event resurrection. But resurrection seen from a certain angle comes seemingly at the last, and it doesn't. The great mystery, it comes not at the end of history, it comes within history. This very night it could come to all of you, or to one of you, I do not know. No one knows. So when they ask the question, when, I, Lord, he said, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons that's fixed by the authority of God, Acts 1-7, by his own authority. But wait for the promise of the Father, just wait. He has promised to redeem you. Redeeming you is redeeming himself. He is not redeeming another. It is God who fell asleep in the creation called the wheels and wheels within wheels, for educative and creative purposes, that by putting himself into the state likened unto death, it's not really death, but it's so still. So altogether a sound sleep that it seems like death. But the ancient scripture, the Old Testament, does not use the word resurrection. It implies it. But I would rather go back and use the term that is used in the Old Testament. The New uses the word resurrection throughout, and I love it. It's a marvelous term. And I use it here night after night. But in the Old Scripture, they only speak of waking from sleep. The 78th Psalm, which is a maskil, meaning special instruction, it is a recapitulation of the entire history of Israel, which is divine history. We come to almost the end, the 65th and 66th verses. It's a very long chapter. And then suddenly we're told that God, or the Lord God, awoke as from sleep, Psalm 78, 65, and 66. He awoke as from sleep, and then he chose Judah and chose David. Then we come to the end of the glorious awakening of the being who was asleep, as the whole story was being told. You start in the beginning of that chapter, the 78th chapter, and he simply tells the traditions of the fathers. I will open my mouth in a parable. And I will utter dark sayings from old, 
or from of old. And he tells all the stories of Israel, the horrors of the world, and the conquering of Jehovah, how he conquers, and he overcomes, and he overcomes, and he overcomes. Man still falls back, but God overcomes. And then the Lord awakes. He awakes us from sleep. When he awakes from sleep, then the whole thing comes to an end. Now we are told to please tell it just as it happened. Don't embellish it. Don't add to the word of God. Don't take from the word of God. While the word translated God in the New Testament, the word logos, has a root meaning, that which is behind the thing, that is the sense or the meaning of the thing. So when we are told in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John 1.1, 1, 1, that word logos, translated word, means that something, that is the sense or the meaning behind the event, whatever that event is. So when you tell it, tell it clearly. So at the end of Luke, we are told, they related their own experience. You tell it, tell it clearly. So at the end of Luke, we are told. Uh, okay, hold on one second. I repeated that. Um, all right, so I'll say it again. So at the end of Luke, we are told they related their own experience. They told what had happened. Not embellished. Don't add to it. And that's why I don't quarrel with the use of the word resurrection. For it is part of the event. But I would go back to the 78th Psalm and rather use that terminology. For in my own case, when I was taken off the wheel of recurrence, but left on it to tell the story, for I must tell it until this garment comes off, and when it comes off now, it comes off for the last time. I do not find myself, like my friend Larry's mother, who found herself in the year uh, 3804, I ran, I ran through the wheels or I went through the wheels within wheels within wheels, but I must remain on the present wheel, the year 1964, and tell it until that time when the garment is taken off, and this time for the last time, for I'm not going through death anymore. But I must tell you the night it happened to me, that force, I can't describe it, save it was the most intense force. We call it an electrical force or charge, but every moment I wake, I feel myself coming to into this world, and I wake. But that day, four years ago, I felt myself coming to, and I thought it would be like the normal waking, uh, the normal waking here, but it wasn't. The most intense vibration I've ever felt. And I'm waking all right, but I'm waking to find myself in a tomb, and the tomb, the sepulcher, is my skull. An entirely different form of awakening, so they say in the 78th Psalm, and the Lord God awoke us from sleep. I awoke from sleep, but it was a different waking from any waking I've ever had that I have any memory of. I awoke to find myself entombed, so I can see the use of the word resurrection, or how could you possibly come out of a tomb, therefore resurrected, unless you were dead? But I had no sense of being dead. I felt I was waking from sleep. That's what the Old Testament teaches. So I was waking from sleep, and I awoke to find myself in a tomb. So I can only conclude, if I am now in a tomb, I must have been dead, or someone thought me dead. Because you don't put anyone in a tomb and seal it, as I was sealed in that tomb, unless you were dead. And so the only sensation of being dead was that I am now in the actual sepulcher, a tomb. And then you come out, and you come out, and you are born from above. For this is the area of the tomb, it's your skull. 
So when you come out of your skull, as you're told in the book of First Peter, we are born anew by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 1-3, only Jesus Christ is ever awakened, ever resurrected. So everyone who resurrects or who is awakened to find himself entombed, he is Jesus Christ. He is now telling the story to the world, and they can accept it or reject it. It's entirely up to them. But he must tell the story. And it is so important that the story of Jesus and the salvation of God be told, and then let man respond to it. He will accept it, sometimes modify it. Let him just reject it completely, or let him in some way just toy with the idea. But all the minds who hear the story from the one who has experienced it are, are like certain soils in the world. And he, the one who tells the story, is the sower who goes forth to plant. And he spreads the seed of truth. It falls sometimes on the highway. It falls on the highway and then the bird devours it. Matthew 13.3 The birds are simply all the great rumors. After all, that man is just a normal person like yourself. He's been married twice. He has children. He knows what it is to know a person intimately. He is a meat eater. He drinks. He does all these things, so forget it. And so quickly the idea is gobbled up. Another one hears it with eagerness, but the cares of the day are more than his attention can cope with. And so the seed, the idea is choked. And then you go from one to the other in all different soils of the world. You may find in a gathering, but we're told in scripture you will always find a remnant. The remnant is considered 10%. We're told in scripture you will always <clears throat> find a remnant. The remnant is considered 10%. <clears throat> told in many ways in the Bible. There is always 10% of any gathering who would listen to you, who will be the soil on which it can fall. It falls on that soil and brings forth a hundredfold, meaning that it will come forth. When it comes forth, then he will have the identical experience, while you have been detached from the wheels of recurrence. Now let me share with you another story that comes into this this morning. This gentleman writes, he said, I felt myself sitting on a nest. Of course, it might have been prompted, said he, by the story you told of the dove that is now in your tree outside of your window. But I felt myself sitting on a nest as a dove would sit. Then I felt something move under me, like something alive, and I raised myself slightly, and then I looked and observed an egg. As I observed the egg, I felt the egg breaking. Suddenly the egg began to break and it broke and out came you. You were about two inches tall, but you were fully proportioned. Everything was perfect in proportion. As you came out, you said, Bill, that's his name. And then he said to me, but Neville, you are so little. And I said to him, in God's creation, everything begins small and then it expands and expands and expands. And at that, before my eyes, you grew to immensity before my eyes. And relative to you, I was a little one, and you were this immense being standing before me. Then you went over to another nest, and there you took from the nest our mutual friend, Jan Johnson, and you brought her. And with your hand on Jan and your hand on me, you still remain this immensity, and Jan was my size relative to you. We are both the same little ones, and you are this immense being, and you took us both, each in a hand, and together we walked up into the sky. Now you have a vision, don't discard it. Go back into scripture and search diligently for something that would throw light on it. Now let me give you, 
if you're in the audience tonight, the passage. It's the seventh chapter of Amos, the second verse. So you go back and you read the ancient scripture for some foreboding, some shadow, some intimation of what you had in the depths. For are we not told if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision? And I will speak with him in a dream, Numbers twelve six, And so you had it. Only God speaks to you in dream. There's only one source of dream in scripture, and that source is God. So he's telling you something. Go back into his words. O Lord, God, forgive. How can Jacob, how can Jacob stand? He is so small. Amos 7.2 How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And then we are told in that same chapter, the Lord forgives and said, It shall not be. And then he allowed Jacob to stand. Now the word Jacob means by the concordance, our biblical concordance, to enlarge, to expand. And there is no limit to the expansion. That's the word Jacob. It's called the supplanter on the surface. But a definition, it is a capacity to enlarge and to expand. So here is the little one. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And then God repented, changed an attitude towards this that is coming out and allowed it to expand to the limit. And there is limit to expansion. There's only a limit to contraction. There's no limit to translucency. There's only a limit to opacity. So if my friend would go back into scripture and read it and search, he would find the secret of his vision. For it came out from that little egg. Well, a few months ago, last, last year really, when the voice said to me, the whole vast world is only for hatching, that's all that it is. The whole vast world is for hatching. And so, worlds within worlds, all turning until so you slip from the sage, 1964 into 3804, and the purpose is only for hatching. At some moment in time, man thinks now that this world is moving from moment to moment to moment in some linear progression. It isn't. It's a cycle. And so, 1964 and 3804 are taking place at one and the same time. Columbus is now discovering this country for the first time on that wheel as it turns. Everything is turning at the same time and we are inserted. But she also said this to her son. We have no choice in that time sequence into which we are placed, none whatsoever. Then you go back and read the scripture. What is that in scripture? She said to that, or she said that to him. And you go back and read the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, that the creature was made subject unto futility, not willingly, but by reason of the will of him who subjected him in hope that the creature would be set free from this bondage to corruption and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God, verse 20. So we are subjected, but who subjected it? God subjecting himself. It's only God. It is God who awakes from this fantastic creation, and when he awakes, he has by this strange subjection increased his capacity to create. For the purpose of it all is to develop one's creative power, and God is not absolute. As the world would call it, God is forever expanding. If God were absolute, the whole thing would be dead. God is potentially absolute and cre can create and create forever and forever. 
than God as man. So to come back to this plan of salvation, the plan is in Scripture. The plan is in Scripture. It begins, the whole thing is inaugurated with an event we call his resurrection from the dead. The first fruits of those who slept, the firstborn from the dead, Revelation 12.5. But, but the firstborn, not the onlyborn, so great judgment is passed upon those who teach that the resurrection is passed already. Read it in Paul's letter, the second letter to Timothy, he said, there are those who are teaching that the resurrection is past and over. They are misleading the people, and in misleading them, they're turning them from the faith, verse 218. And he pronounces on them an uncompromising condemnation, for the resurrection has started, it is taking place, and moment after moment after moment, you and I are being detached from this wonderful wheel where we were born out of it as it were. But being in it, if we were not in it, we could never develop beyond what we were prior to coming into it. So we are told in Scripture, the 20th of Luke, and the Sadducees, the Sadducees are the wise people. They are the scientists of the day. And they asked a question. Master Moses in the law said that if a man marries, leaving no offspring and has brothers, the brother should marry the widow and raise up issue. While there were seven brothers, and the first one who's married, he died leaving no offspring, and the second took her to wife, and he left no offspring when he died. Then the third, and finally all of them married her, and then they all died, and then she died. Whose wife is she in the resurrection? Verses 27-36. They did not believe in the resurrection, for they thought it just couldn't be. They saw people die, and that was the end of them, like all scientists of the world, or most of the scientists. And he said to this wise scientist, You do not know the scripture. The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are accounted worthy to attain to that age, to the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, for they can die no more. They are now sons of God and sons of the resurrection. Verse 34. Well, by that very statement, he implies that they do, when dying, still die. So he tells you they die no more. Well, here he talks to someone who is awake, who must actually go through the experience of death, physical death. But he's telling you he dies no more. But these who seemingly die will continue to die, like my friend Larry's mother. She knows that they fear death as we hear fear death. They experience death as we experience death. And she will slip from the year 3804. However long she lives there, it may be 3890 before she makes her exit from that wheel to find herself in a wheel that is behind it in so-called time. For all, or for all are moving together. So what is up and what is down if the wheel is moving? There's now the apex and this is it, Nadir. But if the wheel is moving, this that is now the apex becomes a Nadir, and this is apex. So what is up and what is down when the wheels are moving within wheels within wheels? And it's all for the bringing out of this turning nest. It's a nest, for the voice said the whole vast universe is for hatching, only hatching. This morning's mail can bring two letters from two entirely different friends of mine. They meet here socially. But only in the last few months they met each other in this room. 
Prior to that, my friend Larry has been coming here for years. And my friend Bill, who wrote the other letter, only came here last November. So they only met here in the last few months, and they dovetail, one bringing out the hatching story that was told me, and the other bringing out the wheels within wheels. So here, 3804, she told him as he understood it. She knows that she never heard of me here in the year 1964. When she died in 53, she never heard of me. I was completely unknown. But my works are known to her in the year 3804, and my name is not a stranger to her. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so it was always so. That's part of the game. That's part of the great play. And we come out of it in the most wonderful manner. But it begins. The whole thing is inaugurated by that event that we call resurrection. His resurrection from the dead. After the resurrection comes a birth, and after the birth comes that end of the book of the 78th chapter of Psalms. For as he awakes as one from sleep and becomes one who shouts as a man filled with wine, and he puts all his enemies to rout, all adversaries are routed, and they are everlastingly put to shame. The whole vast wheel is now put to shame as far as he who has awakened from it, or is subjected to him to the most... It has subjected him to the most horrible things in the world. Then he awakens from it. Then he calls Judah, and then he calls David. And David takes from the flocks where he is. He was taking care of the ewes, those that were in lamb. And David is then the third one. You find him, and you discover him, and discovering him, you know who you are. In the same chapter of Luke that we quoted earlier, when the Sadducees asked about resurrection on the heels of his answer, he then brings up the question and asks the question concerning David. And then he answers the question and tells you who David is, but no one sees it. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's why I said at the beginning of this message tonight <clears throat> that this mystery of salvation, it appears in prospect, so different from what it really is in retrospect who, by reading the story, would see it in prospect as it really is. <clears throat> it isn't as the world will tell you. Seeing it in retrospect, it took place 2,000 years ago, and he is something unique on the outside, and you worship him on the outside, and that isn't so at all. It takes place in the new man. The new man is in every man being formed. When he's completed, and when he's formed, then it unfolds like a flower, and that new man who is in every man, for every man contains Jesus Christ. <clears throat> well, do you not know that Jesus Christ is within you? Testament C, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Long before he unfolds these petals, which is simply the resurrection and the birth, and the discovery of the fatherhood of God, and the ascent into heaven in the form of a serpent, and the descent of the dove upon him, where he is blessed and smothered with the affection of the Holy Spirit long before that, test him, and see if he's not within you. For by him all things were made, and without him was not anything made. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. That is made, John 1 3. <coughs> so test him and see. So the Jesus, Jesus Christ of Scriptures, the Jesus Christ in you, the only Jesus Christ, and he is your own wonderful, loving human imagination. 
There never was another Jesus Christ. God and God alone became man. In becoming man, he's Jesus Christ. He now has to awaken. As he awakens, it's nothing but God. There's no intermediary between yourself and God, none whatsoever. As you're told in the 43rd and the 45th chapters of Isaiah, And the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And besides me there is no Savior, verse 3-5. No Savior besides me, and I am the Lord your God. He became man that man may become God. But in becoming man, he and he alone goes through all the furnaces of affliction as he turns the wheels and wheel after wheel. What determines the jump in time between 1953 when she made her accident, 3804? Strangely enough, she said, I awoke there. I was 21. When he saw her, he estimated her age at 30 within the range of 30. That would be the growth. So they still grow. They do exactly what you do, what I do. They have all the conflicts. But the year differs and all things differ. They make their exit through a grave to find themselves awake at a certain age in a different time slot, as it were. But this world here is the very limit of contraction. I have slipped into these world unnumbered times. When I speak of this world, no other worlds. And when I speak of this world, they are scared to death. This world to them is hell. They can't conceive of anyone recovering from this world. They can't. I stepped into a world and here was Hein, and Hein, the brilliant German poet, essayist, artist, and Hein was instructing them. Hein said to them, You know, they don't call this world of yours, where you just came from, they don't call it earth, they call it woodland. They can't conceive that anyone could ever recover from that descent to woodland. Well now, search the scriptures for it. Is it called woodland? It is, in the 8th chapter of the book of Mark, verse 24. You go back into into Mark, <coughs> excuse me, and the eye was open. When the blind man, born blind, has his eyes open, he was asked, What do you see? And he said, I see men, like trees, walking. So they call this, if a man would ever come here, he'd be come like a tree, a tree walking. So he would lose all identity, he would lose his humanity. He would lose what he what he is by coming here. This is a limit of contraction. No one wants to come here. And when I decided to return to this world and had to go, for my time was come to depart from that world, and I began to say goodbye, they all rushed because they didn't believe the story. They said, what an imaginative being, what stories he's talking about. But I was telling them only the things of earth, but they wouldn't believe me. Then they came when I began to descend, and a voice said, All down for a woodland. You should have seen the fear. Sheer ghastly fear on their faces when I began to descend. Only one came with me, and she was the old dowager, one who belonged to a certain group who had usurped my estate in my absence when I came here. These are fantastic stories, but they're all true. So we're living in a world, you think, well, now this is the most real world, and tomorrow we develop the present energy into something else. To something else, and it'll go on forever in one direction. Don't believe it. We're going to turn the wheel. The wheel is turning, but the wheel is so large. 
We can't see around the corner like you can't see. The ship goes off to sea and it disappears. It hasn't dropped off the earth. It's a curvature of space. While time is curved just as space is curved, and so things disappear in time, we see them disappear in space by the curvature of space. Why they disappear in time but it's only curved, and they're tuning. But the wheels are wheels within wheels. So you see a large wheel. When will it be turned? A man has no memory. So is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in ages past, but there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things to come after among those who came later, or who come later. For there is nothing new under the sun, and how difficult that is to tell to anyone who knows in his own short little span of time that he's never seen this before. I say with anyone living in this world today, born when I was born, where we had candlelight, and then we had oil lamps, and we had gas lamps, these little gas mantles, and then came the day we had electricity. So I go back in my short space of time of 59 years back to my grandmother's day, or your great-grandmother's day. For your great-grandmother can't go back beyond the time that I go back in my 59 years, for I was put into a different space down down the wheel, yeah, a different space down the wheel. The space on which I was placed on this wheel of the same age, so the 20th century, was so limited that my background would take you back in your more marvelous way back into the 19th century. I wasn't born then. I was born in 1905. While 1905 is the space where I was placed on the wheel, goes back in the comforts of life back into, well, 1850. Can I not see them now cleaning the chimneys and cleaning all these things and all outdoor plumbing? That was Barbados, where the kitchen was on the floor. I mean the floor, the earth. I don't mean wood. And so that is the space of the same wheel. So there are wheels within wheels within wheels, and then man is lifted off the wheel. So when you have the experience, go back into the ancient scripture and seek and seek and seek. A great help is a concordance. Strong's concordance, and take Strong's concordance, take a word and look it up. Don't take anything for granted, just look it up and see what it means. Take the word resurrection, for instance, and do you think in terms of resurrection as someone resurrected physically? Hasn't a thing to do with that. The word is defined in the Bible and the concordance means to rise up, to stand upright, to awake from sleep. Read it, to awake from sleep. Well, I know in my own case exactly what had happened. I awoke from sleep, but the awakening was something entirely different. It was the inauguration of the grand unfolding of God's plan of salvation. For that was part of, or that was the first event, and on the heels of it came the child. And the man who saw the symbol called the child, and I took the child. And then after that came the others, one after the other. So resurrection as defined is to awake from sleep. But I didn't know I was asleep until that moment in time. I always thought that I went to bed at night and woke in the morning, so when I woke in the morning, I was awake. I didn't know then until that moment in time, back in 1959, I had been sound asleep. And sound asleep in a tomb, 
for someone placed me there because to them I must have been dead. For you're placed in a tomb only because you're dead. So everyone in this world who is walking through the world, who will make their exit from this world, are just sound asleep. And they are to those who behold this death dead. So Blake tells us of the great eternal ones who contemplate death and say, What seems to be them is to those to whom it seems to be, and is productive of the most dreadful consequences to those to whom it seems to be, even of despair and eternal death. But divine mercy, or divine mercy steps beyond and redeems man in the body of Jesus. Blake, from Jerusalem, Plate 36. Well, there's only the body of Jesus, and that body of Jesus is man. So he awakens that body, and as it awakens, then these things begin to unfold within him. And the very first act is the resurrection. That inaugurates the entire process, his resurrection from the dead. Then comes his birth from above. Then comes his discovery of the fatherhood of God through the son called David. Then his ascent into heaven in serpentine form, and then the descent of the dove, who smothers him with affections, which is he never in eternity will leave him. It smothers him and remains, remains upon him. Then everyone goes through the identical experience. So this is God's plan of salvation. Everyone will be saved for the simple reason. Everyone is now being occupied by God. God is only redeeming himself. And before he entered into the wheels that turn, he had planned his own pathway of return. And his return is simply the development if his own, of his own creative power. Now, let us go into the silence. All right, so there we have Neville Goddard's lecture from 1964 titled, Jesus, God's Plan of Salvation. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Have a great day or evening, afternoon, depending on where you are in this world. Again, thank you. I appreciate having you here. I will see you guys next time. Bye now.